The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 12th chapter. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man, more than the glory that comes from God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. I know a little boy who gets very excited about things, as little boys tend to do. He jumps and claps his hands at the mere suggestion of some activity, even when he doesn't know what he's so excited about. He does know that he often has to wait for things. 
But he doesn't let that stymie his enthusiasm. In fact, it almost seems to be a part of his excitement. So when he's looking forward to something, he'll put it this way. Dad, can we go to the park not yet? Dad, can we have a treat not yet? Dad, can we watch a movie not yet? It's the strangest thing to hear because there is not a hint of discouragement in the way he says, not yet. It is pure excitement. For most of us, not yet carries a bunch of disappointment with it. Not yet evokes impatience and frustration and the potential for a broken promise. But this little boy apparently hasn't noticed yet or kept track of all of the times his dad said, not yet, and then never came through. For right now, he is innocent of the world of broken promises. And so for him, not yet has this paradoxical excitement to it. He doesn't shy from it, but embraces it. He is just so sure about the park and how much fun it will be that not yet isn't a marker of disappointment, but a marker of anticipation. Our God is a God who makes promises. We heard it in our Old Testament lesson. The Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. He has promised to deliver his people from all their enemies. He has promised to be merciful to them, to forgive their sins. He has promised to restore righteousness and justice. But in all of those promises, there is also a not yet. Even today, while the crowds hail the coming of the Messiah, they think that the time of restoration is now. But God says to them, not yet. Now, when a dad says not yet, it is often on account of pretty simple things. Not yet, I need to mow the lawn first. Not yet, let me finish my cup of coffee. Not yet, I'm busy right now. But the not yet of God isn't contingent on some trivial thing. It's not because he's distracted or busy. It's because the timing matters. It's because first, the hour must come for the Son of Man to be glorified. First, the hour must come for the grain of wheat to fall into the earth and die. First, there must be a trial and a judgment, and Jesus must be found guilty of crimes that he did not commit. There must be a sentence, and he must be ridiculed and beaten and made to carry his cross to Golgotha and be crucified. First, he must die. Jesus must lose his life. God will save his people, but not yet. It's hard to say that with any enthusiasm or excitement. For you and me, death is always the end of promises. It's the end of hope. It is the ultimate Disappointment. You can't see through it. But here, God is promising something that is on the other side of death, the other side of the grave, and that is impossible for us to imagine. When Dad is mowing the lawn or drinking a cup of coffee, you can see the end of your waiting. You know how much is left. But when a body is placed in the grave, you cannot see the end. When Christ was laid in the tomb, not yet suddenly seemed like a big setup for disappointment. Where is our rescue and vindication now? Where is our life if life himself is dead? 
But the death of Jesus isn't the only obstacle for us when it comes to God's promises. It's one thing for Jesus to die. But then he says this of you and me as well. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The bigger problem for us is that we love our lives. If not yet means not until I give up this life, not until I let go of all of the things that I love and hold dear, not until I die to myself and to my sin, not until I am left broken and decaying in the grave. If that's what not yet means, can it really be worth it? What promise could possibly be so sure? How can I possibly trust past the point of no return? This week, St. Peter will come face to face with those very same questions. He had insisted that he did not love his life. I will lay down my life for you, he said to Jesus. If I have to die, I will not deny you. But Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. When push came to shove, Peter fought against the death of Jesus, cutting off the ear of the high priest's servant. And then in the courtyard, he folded, saying that he never knew Jesus to spare his own life. On Saturday of this week, during the Easter Vigil, you might wonder whether anyone could do better than Peter, as new members of this congregation are asked to make a confession of their faith. Do you intend to live according to the Word of God and to remain true to God, even to death? Do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession and church and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? What we're really asking is, do you hate your life in this world? How can anyone answer yes? How can anyone give up on this life? How can anyone let go of all of the things that we love and hold dear? How can anyone look open-eyed into the grave and be hopeful? How can anyone hear the promises of God and believe when he says, not yet? To answer that question, the Church leads you through Holy Week every year. Trusting in God's promises isn't just a matter of hoping for better days ahead. It's a matter of honestly seeing ourselves and this life for what they are. By nature, we trust ourselves above all else, even though we are as guilty as anyone of breaking promises. Life in this world is a life beset by sin, the sins of others and most woefully our own. And we cannot imagine any other way, because we ourselves are the problem. And so the Church leads you through this week every year to do the strangest thing, to invite you to see yourself in the denial of Peter, and the betrayal of Judas, and the treachery of the crowds, to invite you to see your sins in the blows and scorn that Jesus suffers, to invite you to see your death as he is lifted up on the cross and breathes his last. But you are not to remain there. The Church leads you through this week every year to bring you at long last to see 
that despite the hopelessness of this world of broken promises, God is always faithful. God always keeps his promises. Nothing, nothing will stop him. The church leads you through this week to show you what you could not see on your own, to show you that God's promises endure through death and through the grave and into resurrection. The question is not whether you can or can't keep your promises to Jesus. The only question is whether God will keep his promises to you. And at the end of this week, there will remain not a shred of doubt that God will do it. As certainly as Christ is risen from the dead, never to die again, so also will you. For you who have been buried with him by baptism into a death like his, losing your life with his, you also will be raised with him in a resurrection like his. That's how new members can answer yes to those questions. That's how Peter could finally die the death of a martyr. And that's how you can say that you hate your life in this world. Because you have already died with Christ. And if you've died with Christ, what is there to fear at the end of this life? What is there that this life has to offer that is not pointing to eternity? What is there to hope in besides God's glorious promises? That takes us back then to where we started. God has promised you eternal life, but not yet. The goal of this Holy Week is to keep that promise in focus, to make it sure and certain, a promise sealed by water and God's most holy name, sealed with the resurrected flesh and blood of Jesus, given and shed for you to eat and to drink. The goal of Holy Week is to ensure that just as it was for that little boy, not yet can be for you an expression of hope, of anticipation, and of confidence. God grant you grace and mercy and strengthen your trust in his promises. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Amen.